It is good to be back with you. I've been out and about. I've been in Bolivia for three weeks. Share a little bit about that in a moment. I want to add to Matthew and, as you've heard from Josh, that you know that my heart is heavy with you. Um, We walk through this together. We walk through this as a difficult time, but yet we walk trusting the Lord, trusting His love, not only for Jean and Liz, not only trusting His love for this church, but ultimately we walk trusting God's honor for His own name. And the honor of His name is that He is a Redeemer, a great Savior. And we trust the honor of His name. And as I was thinking this morning, there was just a sense where, and if this serves you, I hope it does, where the Lord came to those who were grieving and He lifted their chin. And He said, I want you to look at the tomb. It's empty. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. And my purposes are eternal. That's good news for all of us. We continue trusting God. God is steadfast and faithful. Amen. Well, on transition for a moment, we had a mission trip to Bolivia. Um, There were 19 people that went. There were a lot of hands that went into preparing things. We took a medical team. We took a team that was serving at Sutisana. Um, A lot of hands went into that. And I want to thank you as a church because there was a lot of preparation that you did prayers that you contributed, finances that you contributed, that I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. I know that um, the church honored the team uh, when they came back. I want to say thank you to them. The medical team did an incredible job. They worked morning till night. Uh, The amount of children that they were able to see and look at was double what we had thought Um, we were able to contribute by God's grace to many needs there. So I'm just grateful to God for that, grateful for the service of this team um, and grateful for this church that made that happen. And I want to read a letter to you that was sent to this church from Johnny Duetti, who's the senior pastor of the church in La Paz, and says this to Kingsway Community Church. Dear family in Christ, We want to extend our gratitude to you for all the love and support you've shown to Casa de Esperanza in Caranavi, which is the orphanage. Thank you for sending a team to serve there. All the kids and staff were able to get health assessments thanks to the hard work of the team. 
The files created with all the information of each child are very useful and important to us. We know that the team wouldn't have been able to make it possible if it wasn't for your prayers and support as a church. Every part of the body has a specific role, and so does every member of the church. Therefore, we are grateful to each one of you. May God multiply his blessings upon you. Sincerely, Johnny Dwetty. And so each place that I went, I want you to know there was a congregation of people who were waving to you um, that wanted you to send greetings to you all and uh, send their love to you. So I send that to you. Thank you again for the way you contributed and the work only continues to grow and our connection with them, which is exciting. Well, would you open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. It is appropriate that we as a church open and look at that which is so precious and significant to God, and that is his word, that we seek to our own souls be fed by it. Today our passage in Mark, chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. We've been on a series as a church in the book of Mark, and we've witnessed time and time again how the book of Mark presents Jesus to the reader's as God's appointed Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the Sovereign. And He is worthy of our worship and our obedience. Mark says this again and again. Along with declaring it, it also begs at least two questions of the reader, as it will do today. One of the questions is, who do you say that this Jesus of Nazareth is. Who is he? And secondly, are you willing to follow him as a disciple? Do you know what it means to follow him as a disciple? Those two questions come again and again throughout the book, and they will come in today's passage. It will make a statement about Christ and that it will ask us to make a decision. Furthermore, the text that we're going to read is a parable. A parable is a unique way of writing. It is said that it is one of Jesus' favorite ways of teaching. A parable is a story that has usually one main theme. As one author says, the parable makes a direct appeal to the imagination and involves the hearer in the situation. It entices us to hear the story, judge the situation depicted, and then directly or indirectly challenges us, get this, to apply that judgment to ourselves. Today's parable, I think, will do that. So read along with me in Mark chapter 12. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard 
put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a tower. He leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them to another servant, and they struck him on the head. They treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Pray with me, please. Father, we bow again before your word. Father, we claim in our hearts your redemptive work is awesome, beyond imagination, and to which we marvel. Father, cause us to freshly appreciate the work of redemption that you have wrought. Help us to eat of it by faith that our souls would be nourished. In your name we pray. Amen. Some of you have heard me say this quote before and it's one of my favorite quotes. It's by the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper and it is this. There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. His words are penetrating. They remind me of the truth of who Christ is and what is owed Him. I don't know about you, 
But I often can become distracted by life's demands, involvements and affairs of life. And I can forget that there's ultimately one and only one judge whose opinion matters most and whose opinion will endure. All other voices will one day be silenced. And we see today in the parable that Jesus is making a definitive statement about that and about who he is. So let's take a look. The story begins with a landowner, planted a vineyard, leased it to tenants. Such would be a well-understood situation in first-century Jewish Galilee. There were great landowners. They were absentee owners, and they were often opposed by land-hungry peasants who worked as tenants but never owned the land. It's interesting. I have a dear friend who I spoke with over the last two weeks in a different country that actually has a similar situation. He owns about 5,000 acres of pristine real estate. Legally, he owns this by document and title. It's worth a sizable sum, as you can imagine. He purchased seed and he actually hired people to farm the land. The property has appreciated in value. He wants now to sell the property and take the profits. But the tenants are claiming that since they have planted it, they now own the land. I told him he should just go and tell them, move off. He says, if I do that, they will attack me. Uh, It's not a good situation. As I dialogued with him, I realized he was getting a raw deal. He may lose the land. He is now trying to proceed with court help. Um, We'll see what happens. Not a good situation, but I know as I heard his situation, I said, that's not fair. In our parable today, the owner planted a vineyard. He leased it to workers. He expected, in return, fruit from their labors. When the owner sent to retrieve the fruit, he was met with rebellion. He sent service, servants that they beat and they killed until finally he sent his own son, thinking they would respect him. It's interesting The tenants thought the son has no father. Why else would they kill him? In that day, if you killed the owner, there was a place where you could legally vie for and obtain the land. There's a problem with their reasoning. There was a father still living. There was an owner. It's God the Father. So he sends his son and they kill him. What's the father to do? What would you do? Well, I think the response is not admittedly unexpected. He will come, it says. He'll destroy the tenants. He'll give the vineyard to other tenants. He then concludes his passage with a quote from Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So what is Jesus trying to say here? What's he trying to say through the parable? 
Well, I hope we can see that this is a descriptive story of redemption to begin with. A couple things. First of all, it's pretty clear that he's talking to the Jewish religious authorities, the Sanhedrin, who were questioning him about his authority. Who are you to speak to us? There wasn't belief. Secondly, the owner of the vineyard, the man planted it, is God. He's showing God is the one who did that. He's the one to whom return on investment is due. Thirdly, the vineyard, the house of God. Those who are listening to this would know Jesus is speaking from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, where it says, the vineyard is the house of Israel. Jesus was making it clear who he was speaking to. And fourthly, the servants who were in the vineyard, who were then beaten, those are the prophets. God sent prophet after prophet to call the people to repentance. Finally, the son. Jesus is standing there telling them the son was beaten and killed. He again is prophesying he was going to die. He was also saying, nobody's taking my life from me. I'm laying down my life. I'm in charge of this situation. It's interesting, or at least it was interesting and a bit humorous to me. Verse 12, if you look there, Mark makes this comment. They perceived that he had told a parable against them. How about understatement of the year? You think? Jesus is making a loud and clear statement to the house of Israel that they had failed to honor God. They had failed to lead God's people to honor God and were failing right then and there to recognize that the one standing before them was God's chosen son. The one chosen to bring, bring redemption to Israel. And for that because they failed to respond and recognize, there would be devastating consequence. Without question, it's a clear indictment against Israel, against the house of Israel, against those who failed to honor God. So, what are some takeaway points from this? Takeaway points. There are at least four that come to mind. At least four. Number one, all creation, all creation is called to honor God. God rightly deserves worship and praise and obedience of all creation. God alone is the author of all life. God alone is the creator. He's creator of all things. He's worthy of all praise. In this passage, he's the one who's planted the garden. He's the one who gave life to all things. And by the way, whether or not people recognize this or not does not change the truth and the fact that he is the God to be honored upon which there is a claim on them to honor God. Uh, I teach chemistry in the public school system. 
And one of the things we talk about is atoms. And I tell my chemistry students from time to time, whether or not you believe that the atoms are present and interacting with one another doesn't change the fact that the atoms are present and interacting with one another. And if you put certain things together to interact with one another, you will find out quickly that they shouldn't be put together because they do interact. But God is the Creator. He is worthy of praise. Revelation 4, verses 10 and 11 says this, Speaking of a vision in heaven, the 24 elders fall down before Him who was seated on the throne, and they worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, O Lord our God and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist. Psalm 150 says, Let everything that has breath, let everything that has breath, which caused me to think, do I say this to my dog? Do I say it to animals? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everything. There is all under obligation. And therefore God is worthy of praise and obedience of all creatures. Especially, especially, especially the household of God. Especially the household of God especially in the church, the new Israel. Let it be said of the church that he receives praise and honor and glory in his household. He is worthy of praise. Second takeaway point. Failing to honor God is a real life scenario for which there is serious consequence. Failing to honor God is a real-life scenario for which there is serious consequence. From our passage, it's painfully clear that dishonoring God merits God's judgment. And failing to honor God as God, ultimately unrepented of, is worthy of divine punishment which is a major ouch. Friends, sadly, cancer is real. It's a real scenario. It radically affects human bodies. We know that. Dementia is a serious and real scenario that affects minds. Deafness and blindness are real scenarios that sadly affect people. We're not always sure of the causes of all of these, but we see their effect. Likewise, friends, dishonoring the Lord by not walking in His purposes, separated from Him, is a real scenario. Living a reprobate life an antagonistic to God, as Jesus was referring to in this passage, is a real, actual human condition 
It's introduced in the scriptures as the fall, where sin entered and tainted everything. And for those who remain in their sin, there is impending judgment, which is not funny, which is tragic. The house of Israel, as example, failed to honor God and to bear fruit in keeping with the honor He is due. And because of their lack of fruit, because of their lack of responding to God, there was declared judgment. The kingdom would be taken away and given to others. And as hard and as difficult as it is to talk about, we can't ignore the fact that there is a coming judgment which will be dispensed against all who do not walk in obedience to God. It is called the day of the Lord. The great and terrible day of the Lord. And it is real. And it is, if you examine it, terrifying. And our hearts should be moved. Jesus speaks about this in this passage. He speaks about the prophets that were sent to call people to respond and to repent. He talked about them being beaten and rejected. Just like they were beaten and rejected, so was he. He came to call repentance. And at the hands of the scribes and Pharisees, he as well was rejected and killed. Friends, we live in a world in many ways that continues to openly hate the gospel. It's a reality. We follow a Lord who showed us that to follow Him would mean potential persecution and suffering for our faith. There is hostility in many ways against Christians for their faith. Fortunately, now in this country, we don't experience that, but there are many countries many countries around the world where people, to name the name of Christ, means that their blood will be demanded more now than ever before. And yet in the midst of that, we have an opportunity to declare there is an incredible God of love and God of mercy who in the midst of our sin and rebellion chose to give the most precious thing, which was His Son, to pay for the sins that we have committed that put Him on the cross. And we have the opportunity to tell people, God so loved and loves and continues to love the world that He continues to extend and love and give opportunity for repentance. Our message is very relevant. Our message is very needy. 
but it won't always be received with welcome. That doesn't stop us. For the joy set before us to see the Lord glorified and the nations redeemed, we continue. We continue living. We continue walking. We continue sharing. And lest we forget, we must remember that each one of us at one time was under the wrath of God. We too, as Romans says, we were a part of those who were receiving for the wages of our sin, death. And yet we have a different story. Thanks be to God. Third takeaway point. And I thank God that the story doesn't end with the owner of the vineyard throwing them out and giving it to someone else. I'm thankful that the story ends with this. God chose a stone. God chose a cornerstone. God ends this passage with a word of redemption. That there's a cornerstone. That there is one upon which the foundation of the church is and will be built. Thanks to God, our story doesn't end with destruction. It ends with the story of redemption. God provides a means of redemption. Point number three. God supplied the peace to make things necessary. God supplied the possibility. He made it happen. Our redemption is about His work, about what He's provided. Our faith in is what He has done. The story of redemption is based upon His Son coming, His Son doing the work, His Son being rejected. I want to read what Isaiah says about His rejection which is part of the story of redemption from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one whom men hide their faces, he was despised. This is the king of glory. That perplexes me. He who was with God perfect in His eternity has come to an earth that rejected and despised Him. Does not compute. You're to be honored. We esteemed Him not. Surely He has borne our griefs carried our sorrows. Do you see the step across that? The mercy and the grace. We esteemed Him not. Rejected Him. Said, Jesus, not. What did He do? Bore our sorrows. What? Mercy. We esteemed Him not stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes we are healed. 
With his stripes, we are healed. God chose to sacrifice his own son to pay the penalty for the sins of the world. That's the gospel. God chose to sacrifice his own son to pay for the sins of the whole world. My sins, your sins, the sins of the whole world. What have you done with your sins? How have you atoned for your sins? Haven't. Can't. He has. He is sufficient. His work is sufficient. He's the chief cornerstone. It's upon His work that we are built. And we who are His, we who are His, as we read earlier, are being built today, now, this week, last week, next week. We are being built into a spiritual household where He dwells and He walks among us and by God's grace He will receive honor and praise in this house. Tragic part about this passage is that the one who is standing before them ready to walk to the cross in Jerusalem and die the one who is the chosen one, they are rejecting. They don't see it. Fourth takeaway point. Honoring God means honoring the Son. Honoring God means honoring His Son. Jesus again in the text, as throughout Mark, is presenting Himself as the chosen one of God, set apart as God's chief instrument in redemptive history to cause God's redemptive work to happen. Apart from honoring the Son, there is not honoring of God. Apart from honoring the Son, there is not honoring God. Said differently, if you want to honor God, you must honor His Son. The listeners in our passage had their solution standing before them, calling to them, albeit rebuking to them. We, in similar fashion, have the Lord standing before us by His Word, calling to us. I am your help. I am your cornerstone. I am your solution. We're called to honor the Son as our source of help and redemption. We bear fruit, by the way, as this passage talks about, chiefly and primarily as we honor the Son, as we honor the Son, as we have faith in the Son, as we make our lives purposed to honor Him. We bear fruit, not perfectly, not in the same quantity, but we bear fruit as we're called to do. So as we conclude, let me ask three questions. First of all, do you recognize that Scripture declares all of creation in which we are included has the obligation to honor and praise the name of Christ? 
that because primarily of the incredible worth of God and His divine ownership of us and all things, we're called to give Him due His worship. I love sitting with people as I'm talking to them about the faith of Christ, of faith, Christian faith, and they say, well, you know, that's fine for you. That's not me. That's just not my gig. To which I love to share, no, you as well have been created by God. He has a claim upon your life. Your rightful place is to respond to Him with praise and worship. Whatever your faith Whatever your gig, you're created by God to honor Him. That's just the plumb truth. Scripture's clear. There is coming a day. There is coming a day when all, all creation, all creation, and what a day it will be. That's our future. Our day will be Together, honoring the name of Jesus. All creation, every tongue, every tribe, one day. That's what eternity is going to be. That's going to be a glorious day. And in the meantime, we are in the process now, as a church, as individuals, of declaring His worthiness, declaring His praise. Heaven and earth will declare His praise. Now, as we wait that day, our job to continue to declare His praise. And let it be said of us as a church that we do that, that we declare His praise in our lives, in our work, and in our times of corporate worship. We declare Him. Incidentally, Oftentimes, personal loss, trial, sickness, tragedy, difficulty, and times, strangely, at least for me, but I believe for others, help me to regain perspective that I am a creature created by God for His purpose, for His glory, to honor Him and completely dependent upon Him. No trial for the Christian goes wasted. God is at work. God is at work helping us to honor Him as the only wise, true God. Amen? Amen. So do you recognize that Scripture calls us and all creation to honor Him? Secondly, do you recognize that what you believe about Christ determines how you honor Him? What you believe about Christ determines how you honor Him. Christ calls all people, including us, but calls all people to make a decision about Him. He is either truly God or He's a fraud or a liar or as C.S. Lewis says, He's a lunatic. It's not a neutral decision. Who is He? 
The Gospel of Mark calls us to answer that. Who is he? Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin here saying in the parable, this is who I am again as they challenged his authority. I love the quote by A.W. Tozer that says, what you believe about God is the most important thoughts you will ever think. Let's pray that they are biblically true thoughts. But yes, what we think about God is the most important thing I agree that we will ever think. There's no neutral ground. And by the way, not making a decision is a decision. God's called us to make a decision. We honor Him. We honor Him as we orient our lives to give Him most praise. What we believe about Him will determine how we honor Him. Third question is this. Do you recognize that the fruit of your life declares your belief? Do you recognize that the fruit of your life declares your belief? If we declare, if Christ be our Lord, then our lives will bear fruit. Not because we're somehow good fruit bearers, but because we're grafted into the vine that produces life. He gives us that life. It flows from Him. He's the cornerstone. Grafted into Him by faith, which is His ultimate doing, produces faith for His glory. He's the chief agent in the process. If our life is bearing fruit, you will smell like Christ. You will taste like Christ. You will feel like Christ. It doesn't mean perfectly. Only He is that. But there will be the aroma. And I have to say, thanks be to God that He has led me and my family to a church where that is the experience, where there are people in here you smell like Christ. Thanks be to God. We're affected by that aroma. Our lives are changed by that. If you wonder about the level of your fruit bearing, it may be a good time to review who is the owner of your vineyard. Who is in charge? Who has the authority of the vineyard of your life? If you're concerned about bearing fruit or wanting to bear more, I encourage you. Make a beeline for the cross. As C.H. Spurgeon would say, make a beeline for the cross. Make a beeline for repentance. Practice repentance. Brothers and sisters, faith-filled, humble repentance is a sweet gift to the church. It is a sweet gift. It is a grace from God to His people. Through repentance, He changes us. He prunes us to bear more fruit. He teaches us about His grace through it. Practice being a 
good repenter. Lord knows I have plenty of things to repent of. Thanks God for the gift of repentance. But repentance stimulates growth. In closing, I'd like to invite anybody who is here today in the sound of my voice to consider your condition. Are you in a state of relationship with God or living a life antagonistic toward God and His purposes? Are you living to present and uphold and honor the name of Christ or some other name or some other purpose? Can you say, God is my owner and I seek to make him great? There is a call upon each person here. There's a call upon each person who's listening to me to respond to God, to hear the message that he deeply, to the point of executing his son, loves you and offers to you eternal life. If you are ambivalent or uncertain, I urge you to consider the truth of Christ. No question is more significant. Who is the owner of your life? Who is Christ? Who are you living for? And again, I close with Abraham Kuyper's quote. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Let's pray together. Father, we desire to honor you as God, as owner, as creator, as sovereign, as infinite, as beyond our understanding, for that we need your help. Father, cause our praise, cause our worship, cause our lives to be in such a manner that give honor to you. Lord, through our actions, through our repentance, cause us to declare there is one sovereign Redeemer, the cornerstone for which all praise and all glory is due. In His name we pray. Amen.